from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation tonight, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And welcome, it's the Monday edition of uh, the show. Lots uh, has occurred. We uh, will give you an update on what's happening with the border a little bit later on. I want to get to the top headline of the day, which is the Durham report. Uh, the final report has dropped. It exonerates Donald Trump. Uh, in, in my view, it says the FBI failed to uphold its mission. This is a very big deal. And despite having any other uh, additional charges, which was a big letdown. But again, if anybody's listened to my podcast, This Is America, or this program for any time, I might have mentioned it here as well. Uh, for years now, I've been saying uh, to the chagrin of many that when there's dirty tricks going on in Washington, irrespective of whoever's doing them, they're done by people that made the rules, right? So the rule breakers are the rule makers. The FBI are the guys that uh, enforce the law. They investigate. They're the same guys that are breaking the law, right? Breaking the rules, circumventing the rules. And typically what they do is, uh, and I don't, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I'm going to for the sake of this argument, is that, this is how they do it, right? Because they're the ones that are in charge and they know exactly how to skirt the system. They know how to walk right up to the edge of something without crossing the line, so to speak. And again, Durham caught a couple of them that did uh, cross the line. And and still, even then, nothing really happened, right? Uh, despite a couple of indictments, uh, the, the the Washington jury wasn't very um, wasn't very helpful in putting anybody, you know, locking anybody up, throwing away the key. And and the reality is, political corruption. Uh, outside of, you know, a handful of things that I could think of over the years. Um, I mean, just think back. Bob Menendez. Oh, and there was Bob Menendez, of course. <clears throat> right? He was indicted. There was kids. or he, They wanted to indict him. Excuse me. Blah, blah, blah. I'm just rewinding a little bit for uh, historical context. And a doctor that he dealt with that was a supporter of his ends up doing the jail time. Right? And that's typically how it works. Right? Whoever's being blamed for things isn't the one who usually gets in trouble. Right? You might uh, famously remember Hillary Clinton, lock her up, lock her up. People all over the country were shouting, chanting, lock her up. And it was then that I said, she's not going to jail. I knew she wasn't going to go to jail because there's a system that's uh, in place. And some call it a two-tier justice system. And, and that may very well be. <clears throat> but the reality is there aren't a ton of politicians going to jail for corruption, period. It's an exception. I mean, and, and the exception seems to be in recent years uh, that, you know, if you're Trump related, you go to jail. <laughs> if you um, are not, then you get by with the slap on the wrist. Uh, but even before that, it was, you know, like Rod Blagojevich, the uh, from from Chicago. He was a he was a Democrat. It, it was it was not um, it was typically used as retribution. It was it was very seldom or because you didn't take the plea that they'd given you. So. 
I had said initially, and this was not my own genius. This was uh, me working some contacts I had that were in Washington in certain offices that leaked quite a bit and wanted the information to get out to the media. I was told from very, very early on that all of this stuff from, from the beginning of the Mueller investigation, that this would all be to correct the record. These were the words that I heard, right? Correct the record. It was never about the pursuit of justice. It was never about accountability. It was always about correcting the record. So meaning these bad guys did these bad things and they got away with it, but we want you to know that they did it so that 50 years from now, they could look at these reports and have an idea of how this corruption worked. And I think we saw this with the uh, IG reports from uh, various inspectors general. Uh, we saw this as well from uh, the um, Durham report as well. So I think, and his filings that were public as well. So I think this is the big deal, right? This is the big deal that Trump was right all along. And again, this is not a, um, uh, my intention here is not to say that Trump was right. I'm saying it because that's a matter of fact uh, and a matter of the record here. But my, my intention really is here is to show how the media was complicit, right? To show how this whole thing was designed to fool people. And it worked very well because that's their goal. Same thing with um, with with elections. You know, people say, oh, but he lost every case. The critics say he lost every case. Then the others say, you know, that they wouldn't take the case. And that's true. And even if they fix things after the fact, like the stuff that they're fixing and have fixed in, in Pennsylvania and in Wisconsin, no one goes to jail, right? Nothing gets reversed. That's not how that's not how they do things. Even if they try to do the right thing, they won't do all of the right thing. They just do it because, again, how would you do it? The, the repercussions would be so far reaching that nobody has the courage to try it. None of the judges are saying, yeah, yeah, you know what? We're, we're going to stand for what's right. It's, it's just a, it's an impossibility. Everybody wants to pass the buck. They'd rather they'd rather say, all right, look, hey, look, you got robbed this time. Hey, take care. Sorry. Take care. Brush your hair. Uh, but just to give you a recap of some of the stuff that went on today. Uh, Jim Jordan announced that he'd uh, reached out to the Department of Justice to have the special counsel, Durham, uh, himself testify before Congress as early as next week. And uh, they're they're hoping to have Durham in there with his final report uh, in the Trump-Russia investigation to uh, find out, you know, what was what. Let's get to the bottom of it. Now, the 300-page report, more than 300 pages, uh, found that the FBI failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law. Now, that's that's a massive indictment in my opinion, right? When you are the Federal Bureau of Investigation, right, federal law enforcement, and, it, and the special counsel finds that you failed to uphold your mission of strict fidelity to the law, that means you're a clown show. And, of course, this was in the context of launching their investigation, uh, according to um, the uh, reporting from, from Fox News. Now, during Durham's uh, years-long investigation, he indicted three people, former Clinton attorney Michael Sussman back in 21, Igor Danchenko in November of 21, and Kevin Kleinsmith. That was the attorney that uh, doctored an email in order to uh, get the uh, FISA warrant in August of 2020. And again, if you're listening to this for the first time and you want to know, what are they talking about here? 
I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about these people that I just mentioned that were indicted by the special counsel who did everything that they did to finagle and doctor and, and fraudulently obtain a warrant to spy on candidate and President Trump using uh, the Foreign Intelligence uh, Surveillance Court. Fascinating. Fascinating. So now uh, the report said that Kleinsmith committed a criminal offense by fabricating language in an email that was material to the FBI obtaining a FISA surveillance order. In other instances, FBI personnel working on that same FISA application displayed at best a cavalier attitude towards the accuracy and completeness. This is crazy stuff. I want to get to the bottom of this with a former federal prosecutor. He's also former um, national security advisor for the House Intelligence Committee, Cash Patel, who's former uh, chief of staff at the Pentagon as well. Yeah, he's going to join us because he had an intimate knowledge of this stuff. And I really want to get his reaction to to this bombshell, which proves what he'd been saying all along. But it also proves that it's hard to get accountability in Washington. So don't go anywhere. Coming back, we've got Cash Patel. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So according to the Durham report, the plan by Hillary Clinton to create a false story linking Donald Trump to Russia uh, was briefed in August of 2016 by CIA Director John Brennan to President Obama, VP Biden, A.G. Loretta Lynch, and FBI Director James Comey. So this is a, in my opinion, a conspiracy of vast proportion. This is the biggest case of election interference that I've ever seen, and now we've got it on paper. Here to get to give some reaction and to break it down for us is Cash Patel. He's the author of Government Gangsters. Make sure you uh, check out the book. I always say get two copies and... Uh, give one away to somebody who needs to read this stuff. Cash Patel, welcome. Hey, Rich, it's great to be back with you. Thanks so much. Thank you, brother. So um, tell me, what's your initial gut reaction to this? Look, mine's probably a little unique and maybe somewhat jaded. You know, I was a chief investigator for then Chairman Nunes on the Russiagate investigation. Mm-hmm. And the information that's in John Durham's report, I'm glad it's out, but it's nothing new. You know, I'm, I was the, I was John Durham's biggest supporter and, you know, as a as an individual is involved, you have to critique them when necessary. And I'm glad the information's out. I'm glad the mainstream media is forced to cover it. And CNN and MSNBC are putting out headlines that's saying the FBI had no justification to surveil Donald Trump. That's all true. And we proved it with our investigation five years ago. And so it's good that the mainstream media is covering it and the rest of America is hearing it. But where we fall short, of course, is accountability, because had they reported the truth when we found the truth out, we might have had a chance at accountability, which John Durham fell uh, woefully short on. You know, a lot of people were very critical of of then Chairman Nunes and his infamous memo Mm -hmm. 
uh, which I think is a famous <laughs> memo, right? Uh, because, you know, oh, he's crazy. They're crazy. These people are conspiracy theorists. They're making it all up. Mm-hmm. And now here we have it. It's, it's pretty much in black and white again for, uh, I guess, the final time uh, where uh, it seems that this might be the only person that the media uh, will take seriously, maybe just because they're kind of forced to because he was special counsel and, and you know, Biden agreed to, you know, not be involved because he really couldn't get rid of Durham. And and I feel like um, I guess it is a victory in so much as correcting history and correcting the record. Uh, as I stated before, I brought you on in the previous segment. I had heard from people who um, love to talk back during the um, dur- during the investigation uh, early on that, that they were saying we're, we're probably not ever going to lock anybody up. But um, this is just to correct the record. So the facts are out there. And I felt like that's just not enough. The American people aren't going to be satisfied with that. Uh, but that seemed to be the direction it was going, and it was my gut. Um, and I just think, it, should we always expect that to be the case, to just get some information that's a little bit less than redacted and to never really see justice? Unfortunately, we should if you keep the current regime in charge and now you see that they are there to protect themselves. It's not a Republican or Democrat thing. Remember, right. this Power. may have been launched under Obama. Comey was a Republican-appointed FBI director who made millions with McCabe off selling their flawed nonsense to the world. And then you have Chris Ray and Merrick Garland and uh, Loretta Rent Lynch and everybody else that was there, Bill Barr, and they had every chance to actually prosecute people. But the only thing these government gangsters care about is protecting their own ego, and they cannot and will not allow their agencies and departments to be besmirched on their watch because that means they will have failed. They're all friends. They don't care about the Democrat or Republican sticker. Gina Haspel, who led the CIA for Donald Trump, Brennan, who led it for Obama, they all launched and permitted these investigations and authorized them in the 51 House Intel letter, which I call the Steele dossier 2.0. They've written a playbook with the Democrats to make sure our voices are never heard and that there is no accountability. And I think the civics education that America has learned, because so many Americans are frustrated with the lack of accountability, is well, maybe we need to pay more attention and choose more selectively the media we listen to, like your great show, who's been reporting the truth courageously for years. And you're right. It's not a right-wing conspiracy. It's the facts. Like Devin and I put out five years ago in the Nunes memo and our House Intel report, there's very, very little new information. But politically, I am pleased that you know President Trump is allowed to get out there and have the mainstream media forced to cover what we've been saying the entire time, the truth. A political opponent, gangster, the United States law enforcement and weaponization um, for a political gain. And now we know John Durham has singly put to rest any issue of whether or not was the most pivotal question. Was there a basis to launch this investigation to Donald Trump? And the answer unequivocally is now no. Right. And I think a big part of this also is. Uh, and again, uh, you know, I keep going back to this correcting the record, but uh, I was I was mm-hmm. really and again, I do this stuff every day. But I was very surprised <laughs> to hear this 13 seconds from Jake Tapper uh, earlier today that mm-hmm. I just thought I wasn't going to hear. Listen to this. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It, it is regardless devastating to the FBI and to a degree it does exonerate Donald Trump. That's from the mouth of Jake Tapper on CNN, <laughs> Cash Patel. 
and th- and that's and that's my point. There you have it. You know whether it 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 won't reserve um, judgment for accountability purposes, but it will be a devastating blow to the FBI and the half the republic in our country that was lied to for so many years about Russiagate. And Jake Tapper was one of the leading voices of those lies by having Clapper and Brendan and Comey come on and say, oh, people are going to be arrested um, and the walls are closing in. They knew it was false. And Jake Tapper, this is the thing. The deep state cannot exist with the criminal co-conspirators of the media, CNN, MSNBC, and New York Times, and all the rest of them. And for Tapper to come out and say that is the biggest political sort of retribution we can have. While we can't have accountability, Donald Trump will now be able to say loud and proud for the next 18 months, I was illegally spied on. We were right the entire time. Cash and Devin ran a righteous investigation, put out Mm -hmm. the truth. And it's not an I told you so moment. That's the key for Americans. Americans want accountability. But the I told you so moments are for fiction and sci-fi. What we need to do is say, look, we're going to build on this. It's they did this here. They did this in Jan 6. They did this in impeachment one and Hunter Biden's laptop classified documents case. If you don't want a two tier system of justice anymore, then you have to send the right people to Washington. And that right person is Donald Trump. Uh, agreed. And I, I believe that uh, Trump has part of a, a new campaign ad there with Jake Tapper saying that he's yeah. been exonerated to <laughs> some degree. Yeah, exactly. You Cash, can't buy I that re- kind of advertising. You can't. You're right. And I just want to remind everybody that your book is coming out September 26th. And if people want to get on the um, on the pre-order, the time to do it is now. Uh, go to uh, wherever you get your books and pick up uh, two copies, one for you, one for someone else. Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy by Cash Patel. Uh, Cash, let everybody know how they could follow you and keep up to speed with everything you're doing. Yeah, one place, at Cash on Truth Social, at Cash on Truth Social. And you won't be surprised to hear that I've sued the federal government because they've sat on my manuscript for seven-plus months and won't let it release. So the book's coming out. We're taking them to federal court. There must be a reason why they don't want this book out. And it's because of Russiagate and on from everything there onwards. We need to save our republic. And I show you chapter and verse how to do it agency by agency and department to department. I promise I'll get this book out. Governmentgangsters.com for everybody's pre-order. All right, folks, you heard it right there. Governmentgangsters.com. Again, the book, Government Gangsters, The Deep State, The Truth, and The Battle for Our Democracy. Cash Patel lays it out. He's been on this since day one. He's been on the show several times, and he's been right every single time uh, from his investigations to his analysis. Cash, thanks for joining us. Thank you, my friend. Have a great night. You got it, brother. Godspeed. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to look into the whistleblowers and what's going on with Joe Biden. He seems to have more whistleblowers than, hmm, you figure that one out. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. And our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And our guest is Emma Jo Morris. Uh, she's the Breitbart News politics editor. You can find her online at Emma Joe NYC. Emma Jo Morris, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Now, there's a whole bunch of things I want to talk to you about uh, because um, I understand that you have some pretty uh, firsthand experience when you were working in New York for the New York Post at, at, at some of this stuff. Is that right? First hack, yes. Some first hack experience. That's one way of putting it. Yes, yes, I do. I broke the Hunter Biden laptop story at the New York Post. So, and and you were the one, the lucky recipient of all that censorship. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. terrific. All right. Well, let's let's start off. I mean, I think that the big story today, uh, and there's many, right? There's there's five more whistleblowers. There's all, all sorts of things, uh, but. Uh, the IRS has removed the uh, investigative team from Hunter Biden's probe in a move that the whistleblower is claiming is clearly retaliatory. Uh, d- does that seem in sync with the reporting you're, you've been doing? I mean, yeah, it seems in sync with the way that the administrative state works, right? Where, mm-hmm. like, for example, um, you know, there was, according to another whistleblower, th- there was a request by um, the uh attorney looking into Hunter Biden's gun charge and financial crimes. And he requested a special counsel to create some insulation of the investigation from the administration and to create some independence from the administration. And apparently that request was stonewalled and rejected by Merrick Garland. So, you know, this is just, you know, I mean, this is obviously a New York Post report. I can't verify personally the veracity of the reporting, although I know the the reporter very well. He was my reporter when I was working there, Stephen Nelson, and he's extremely careful. Um, But, yeah, I mean, he's saying that that this happened and this follows a pattern, you know, so I have no reason to not believe it. Right. Now, I want to circle back to what I just mentioned because I know that there's a a story by – uh, Wendell Husbo, uh, who I think is part of your team as well, uh, yes. with talking about five whistleblowers, at least five, that have come forward to allege wrongdoing by the Biden family in connection with business schemes and corresponding cover-ups. And it, it seems to me that, you know, if if you're trying to make somebody look bad, this is a good way to do it, right? To have to have everyday new whistleblowers, new, new people making new accusations. Um, and I think that this seems to have a little bit of merit to it because everybody, uh, these people don't seem like fly by night and they don't seem to have much to gain. Uh, tell us a little bit about these, um, these whistleblowers, if you can. Yeah. So this story by Wendell, um, that published today, this is not five new whistleblowers, but this is a roundup of all the whistleblowers so far that have come Mm -hmm. forward. Exactly. So, um, He gives five examples. There are the following. Um, According to Chuck Grassley, whistleblowers say that the FBI has evidence that um, Joe Biden is involved in his family business schemes. And this whistleblower actually claims that the FBI has evidence that there is a bribery scheme that they um, have documented. So that's one. The second one is Tony Wawelinski, Hunter Biden's former business partner, uh, who actually came forward in the days following the publication of the laptop from Hell series at the New York Post. Um, he was the one who infamously 
um, identified the big guy as Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Um, the third one is the ex-White House aide um, who came forward um, and said that the FBI ignored Joe Biden's role in um, in his family's Ukraine business dealings while he was the quote point person for Ukraine policy in the in the Obama Biden administration. Um, and the, the fourth was the IRS whistleblower saying that the Biden administration was interfering in um, the tax probe. This is the one where um, who revealed that that there was stonewalling to appoint a special counsel in that investigation. Um, and then the fifth was um, the bribery allegations that were flagged to the FBI. Um, so, so there have been a number of people who have come forward who obviously have nothing to gain. I mean, the environment and the culture inside of the bureaucracy, as I'm sure you and your viewers can imagine, is is one of of loyalty to Washington and to the bureaucracy. Why do they hate Trump so much? It's because he threatens their existence in that bureaucracy, um, and and allowing them to function freely. So, so these people think that they run the government. They don't really seem to acknowledge the elections that we have. And they, you know, they'll say um, in, a, in a kind of self-righteous, kind of indignant way, you know, we, we work through administrations and, you know, we don't care about party. It's like, well, no, you don't care about party because you care about bureaucracy. And, and every mm-hmm. president from each party protects that bureaucracy and allows it to grow and thrive. And it was only Trump and only an anti-establishment candidate, an anti-establishment president, um, who was actually going to pose any threat to you. Um, but anyway, I digress. You know, so so these whistleblowers don't have really much incentive to come forward other than just basically like patriotism. I mean, it's um, definitely definitely not serving them. And if anything, you know, as it seems from the story tonight from Stephen Nelson, it actually hinders their, their mission, which is to, to provide um, justice. Right. Right. And, and, you know, just to, to, on something you said, and I don't think it was much of a digression at all. It was really, um, it's, it's so evident of, of the other story from today, which I think is, um, the the another example of the weaponization of law enforcement to, to go after somebody for that reason. And yeah. they went after Trump because of, I think, the reasons you cited. It was 100 percent right. He threatened the existence of the administrative state, the bureaucracy that was accountable to no one, uh, these career professionals that kind of you yeah. know, exist and subsist in Washington. And uh, he had this different approach where he was an outsider and they were like, no, no, no we can't have this. <laughs> <laughs> this this doesn't work, yeah. and, and we saw that the action that they took. So I want to I want to get to that because I think that's so, sort of the crux of everything. If if you're you know an apolitical person that's just looking at headlines today, thinking why would they do such a thing? I think that explains a lot of it. It explains um, uh, the both the Stephen Nelson story. It explains much of what's going on, and it explains why they sat on your story and tried to you know bury it. And I want to get your reaction on what that was like going through that uh, when we come back. So stick with us. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. Uh, we are on with Emma Joe Morris, Breitbart News Politics Editor. She's at Emma Joe. That's J-O-N-Y-C if you want to follow her on social media. And we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America. 
This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. This is absolutely extraordinary and it is stunning that some people are missing that you need to prove this. Who in the White House is intimidating these people? Do you know? I do know. Uh, we're saving that for a later time. Uh, but I can tell you one thing that a lot of people don't know. When, when I issue a subpoena to a bank or to an individual, the second I issue that, Jamie or Askins gets that. And when we get information in from the bank or, or from any individual, they make two copies, one for the majority, which are the Republicans, one for the minority, which are the Democrats. And my biggest problem with the Democrats on the House Oversight Committee is they're acting as a criminal defense attorney for the Biden family. Uh, not only are they not working with us, they're obstructing every step of the way. So that's uh, James Comer saying that the White House is obstructing from investigations into the banking crisis, into everything else, including intimidating whistleblowers. And uh, we're discussing whistleblowers and and the latest of what's going on with uh, the investigations into both President Biden or the uh, congressional oversight investigation into President Biden and uh, members of his family for wrongdoing. Our guest is Emma Jo Morris. She's the Breitbart News Politics Editor. Uh, you can get her on social media at Emma Joe, J-O-N-Y-C. And Emma Joe Morris, welcome back. I wanted to um, remind everybody that you uh, were were with the New York Post and broke that Hunter Biden laptop story. Uh, big, big story that very few people heard about uh, at the time because it was suppressed so aggressively. Um, what was it like to have broken that story, uh, in my opinion, a bombshell October surprise of a story, and uh, and to face that type of uh, fate. Um, well, you know, it was surreal. Obviously, it was totally surreal. Um, thinking back on it, I still can't believe that I was at the center of that. But, um, you know, when they called it Russian disinformation, I have to say that although that line does work and there's half the country that now, even to this day, despite everything that's come to light since then, still reflexively hears Hunter Biden laptop and kind of just assumes that it's that it's um, irrelevant or or some sort of conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I saw that they were calling this Russian disinformation, I I just felt like we've nailed them because, you know, as (laughs) as, you know, this dovetails really well with the news from today where, you know, we watched the whole Russia hoax against Trump, right? And we knew that mm-hmm. that was nonsense the entire time. And we knew that that was some sort of weird operation by the security state um, to try to pull one over on the American people. They make up this, this like, fairy tale about Russia and the Kremlin. So when I saw that, I, I just knew, okay, um, okay, they have nothing. Yeah, like you got them dead to rights and, and they're grasping at straws with their with their usual canned line of it's, it's Russia exactly. propaganda. It is a canned like, line. It's like calling it's like when they call conservatives racist or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's just grasping racist, at xenophobe, straws. homophobe. Yeah. It's the go to exactly. line. Exactly. That's what they call that's the racist, xenophobe, homophobe for journalism is Russian disinformation. Just pathetic. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just think it's amazing that, that this was um the case and you know, from from your perspective, you were there uh, trying to get this story out. The post then gets locked out of their account and 
And, you know, they start to strong arm them and say, well, if you want to get back into your Twitter account, you've got to, you know, delete the story and whatnot. Um, were, were you privy to any of that? Uh, what was your reaction to that when you heard that news? Yeah, well, so I, I was very close with my boss, um, who was the editor-in-chief at the time of the New York Post, Michelle Godhelf, legendary editor. And um, she basically said, no, no, not doing that. Because deleting the tweets is some sort of tacit, like, like surrender Acceptance. to this censorship yeah. regime. And it totally undermined the values of the post and the principle and her values, to be honest. Yeah, and the first. And yeah. she just. <laughs> yes, and exactly. And the whole spirit of what we're doing, which is journalism, you know, like right. she just said, no, 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 not doing that. And they were in a negotiation for over two weeks where they were going back and forth. And she said, there must be something on your end that you can be doing to reinstate my account. And I'm not deleting the tweets. And they insisted she delete them. And she said no. And it was this whole thing. And it was a very high level negotiation. Um, I'm sure that this went right to the top. But I know that the editor in chief was the one really conducting it. And she just wouldn't do it. And God, Alexander Hamilton would be proud. And he is the founder of the New York Post, by the way, for those who mm -hmm. didn't know that. Right. Yeah. And I was just thinking when you said that, you know, and I was so glad that the Post did not capitulate but for that reason. Right. It's, it's the oldest newspaper in America started by Alexander Hamilton. If if they would have won that victory to get you guys to uh, succumb to their will, um, it to me would have been uh, maybe not the first nail, but yet another nail in the coffin of truth and, and journalism and the First Amendment. Yes. Well, that's it. Exactly. It's like this is a principle. This is a hill worth dying on. The New York Post wasn't going to capitulate to neurotic millennials who were literally making things up. <laughs> it's sad that that's where we are, but that's where we are. Folks, let me remind you, uh, we are on with Emma Jo Morris, Breitbart News Politics Editor. She was with the New York Post at the time, and um, she's uh, describing her, her uh, the chain of events when uh, her story, when she broke the Hunter Biden laptop story and how it was censored. And, and, and here we are, fast forward, um, you know, what is it? Two years, and uh, and there's Over. still censorship, and now now they're censoring the whistleblowers. Um, where do you? I mean, again, I know you're not a pundit, and you're not, a, and you don't have a crystal ball. But but based on your reporting and based on the facts, how do you um, surmise this this ends up? It's hard to tell. You know what I was going to say, and like what you're learning with all of this. You know, mm -hmm. whether it be with the Russia hoax or with the Hunter Biden laptop hacking Russia hoax. You know, it's like you catch these people red-handed, and we do it constantly. And they they don't just say, "Oh, you know, you're right, you got us." No, right. they double down, <laughs> they ignore, they smear, they mock. Like anything, anything to um, to do to just try to, you know, it's like rear guard action. And these people are not just tossing the keys to the American people um, and saying, OK, you know what? You caught us. You you run the country now. No, these people think that they run the country. You know, there was this outrageous incident during the Trump administration where I think it was when he said to pull the troops out of Syria and the Pentagon essentially said, yeah, yeah, okay, Mr. President, didn't do it. And that was so illustrative of how this country works in that right. the, there is this massive bureaucracy of millions of people. It encompasses the Department of State, 
the DOJ, the Pentagon, you know, and, and it's all these spies and, um, and military people for the most part and diplomats. And they think that they run the place. They think that they run the place. They do not acknowledge elections. And for the most part, they kind of are, are um, uninhibited in doing that because, like I said at the beginning of the, the other segment, you know, presidents from both parties will typically go along with the way things work in Washington. But in, in the instance of Trump, you had somebody who wasn't going to go along with it. And um, and they just refused to comply. They were insubordinate. Um, and the way that this country is structured and the way this government is structured is they must be subordinate to the people who elect obviously the president, the president represents the people who elected him. And um, that's no longer the case. And what you're seeing with the Russia hoax and what you're seeing with the Hunter Biden hoax is like this security state has operations that they, that they are um, like their job is to perform these operations in foreign countries, right? Where they arrange politics in foreign countries to align with the interests of the United States. And that's fine. And, and we've always kind of accepted that that's what they do and, and we need them to do it or, or whatever. Somebody mm-hmm. decided that and we all kind of went along with it. And what happened in 2016 and in 2015 up until the laptop from hell and probably up until today, definitely up until today, um, is those powers have been turned inward. And they are now using their power to manipulate the American people in order to to act in their interest, they, i.e. the bureaucracy. Um, Mm -hmm. And what am I saying? What am I talking about when I say that? You know, what they pulled on Trump, this fake Russia thing, that was a silent coup. I mean, you can talk about it, you know, you can categorize it however you want, or you can enumerate the specific things that were done. But what is it holistically? They tried to undermine the president of the United States. They tried to frame him as a Manchurian candidate. um, And the people that elected him. Yes, and delegitimize his power. It's a, it's a travesty. It really is. Emma Jo Morris, she's the Breitbart News Politics Editor. I don't think I could have put it any better. Uh, I appreciate the fact that we have uh, journalists like you being the watchdog of, uh, uh, of our government because um, without you, we're screwed. Emma Jo Morris, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you. All right, folks. More to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped. And it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It is regardless devastating to the FBI and to a degree it does exonerate Donald Trump. All right. That's Jake Tapper again saying Trump was exonerated in in, uh, more than, you know, in in so many words. Uh, Again, FBI personnel also repeatedly disregarded important requirements when they continued to seek renewals of the FISA surveillance warrant while acknowledging both then and in hindsight that they did not genuinely genuinely believe there was probable cause to believe the target was knowingly engaged in a clandestine intelligence activity on behalf of a foreign power. So they knew what they were doing against Trump was wrong and they did it anyway. My goodness. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about this for the next five years. All right, folks, 
Anyway, we're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I am here with you. Uh, you can get us by phone if you'd like to join the conversation and speak with one of our guests, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And a quick recap, uh, just a couple of headlines before we jump into the big topic here. Uh, the special counsel for the... Russian collusion uh, investigation uh, released his final report today and in all but uh, an exoneration of, of former President Donald Trump uh, and all but an indictment of the FBI saying that they failed to do their job to adhere to the fidelity of the law. And uh, we've got a report from CNN. Listen to this. Uh, we finally have the conclusions, uh, more than 300 pages uh, released by the Justice Department. Now, uh, it has now been uh, transmitted to members of Congress who also are going to want to bring John Durham in uh, to uh, to review some of the findings. But the bottom line is this. The, uh, the investigation found uh, that the FBI failed in many, many ways, things that we already knew from a previous uh, Inspector General report. And I'll read you just a part of it, uh, uh, of John Durham's conclusion. He says, Based on the review of Crossfire Hurricane and related intelligence activities, we conclude that the department and the FBI failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law in connection with certain events and activities described in this report. That's uh, CNN's Evan Perez. And um, we're going to continue to talk about how government is growing and how the the growth of government and, and even the... I don't want to see the imitation, but the the advent of of corruption and how it's it's grown from the time of early government back in ancient Greece to today. And we're going to do that with Richard Lyons. He's the author of The DNA of Democracy. We're going to do that straight ahead. But right now, I'd like to talk a little bit about probably what's quickly becoming one of America's uh, most favorite uh, or favorite pastime when it comes to social media, TikTok. And TikTok has been widely criticized by many for many different reasons. And our guest, Dr. Dean Beckloff, uh, PhD, licensed professional counselor, uh, he's with us to help us understand, you know, what are the implications of TikTok? How is it affecting children? And uh, the importance of understanding what our children are consuming. Dr. Dean Beckloff, welcome. Hey, good to be with you, Rich. Yes, sir. Thank you. So I'm looking at a, an article in uh, the Wall Street Journal and says TikTok feeds teens a diet of darkness, self-harm, sad yeah. posting and disordered eating videos abound on the popular app. Now, we'd seen similar 
coming out of Instagram probably about a year and a half ago. And then there were some uh, Facebook uh, people testifying that that this was, in fact, the case. And that now there's like some right. class action lawsuits uh, against um, Meta Instagram for children that, you know, started out looking at things like um, I forget what they're called, Webkins and ended up, you know, consuming content that had to do with like starving yourself so you could see your ribs and young women becoming anorexic and whatnot. Um, is TikTok following suit? Well, that's what it's looking like. You know, it, it's it's disturbing. When we look at teens and even kids, you know, they're very vulnerable. And, and when I was in, uh, you know, working on, on my psychology uh, courses, you know, one of the things that they told us way back then, because I'm very old, is, <laughs> hey, if you hear something, if you're reading something, it's very easy to think, oh, maybe I have that, or I could have that. You know, it's it's a normal human thing. But here we are having kids and young teens being exposed to things like hopelessness and suicidal thinking and self-harm. And, you know, I, I believe that TikTok got started in around 2018 by 2020, we're in the middle of COVID, and now we've got a bunch of kids uh, home, and they're confined, and so social media probably boomed. But one of the things that you brought up, which I think is a really good point, is kids seem to be fed this stuff. And although you know we're hearing from TikTok that they're trying to work that out and get rid of it. We're still seeing that kids are being exposed to it there. Yeah, you know, Dr. Dean and Beckloff, this, uh, what I, 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 the reason I wanted to talk with you, right? Cause we could talk with a lot of people, but I wanted to talk with somebody who's, who's a pro was because the CDC was the first one to alert this to me. Uh, they released mm-hmm. a report in February and then a follow-up in March uh, showing uh, concern over an increase in sadness and exposure to violence amongst teen girls and LGBTQ plus youth. Um, and, and I thought, man, this is um, very concerning that when, you know, a, it that we, we, we have this, these numbers and it was like the highest increase in the last nine or 10 years. Right. Right. And I think we've got a lot of, you know, good positive conjecture about what's going on, but this thing <laughs> is disturbing and I'm not trying to point a finger, but, you know, our kids are being exposed to thoughts and ideas, and they're just vulnerable. I mean, all of us are vulnerable. I mean, we wouldn't have advertising. And by the way, the advertising on your show is the good advertising. Okay, it's perfect. It's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Other shows, no, no. But but your show, yes, it's good. But, you know, advertising is there because we can be influenced. We are influenced. And yet, you know, we're looking at young kids. I mean, from what we're knowing these days about the brain and how it's growing, most brains are not done until about the age of 25. And some take a little bit longer, which is fine. But, you know, we're talking about kids who are nowhere near the end of that growth. And I, I've, I've read a lot about adults being exposed to some of that, too, and it's, it's depressing to them. Now, this article, it talks about uh, a a recent study by an organization called the Center for Countering Digital Hate. And and this Mm -hmm. was interesting because the researchers there, 
they uh, created accounts that they claimed belonged to 13-year-olds. These were fictitious 13-year-olds. Uh-huh. And uh, their results were that they were quickly inundated with videos about eating disorder, body image, self-harm, and suicide. And you were just saying it's a natural human reaction, even for adults, to read something about something and say, well, yeah, I kind of feel that way <laughs> and think that they might have <laughs> something or at least you know, explore that notion. And, and that's happened to me, too. You know, you scroll through Instagram and, you know, they say, have you do this? Do you feel that way? Maybe you're, you know. So I get it. And there's a million of different uh, pharma commercials out there. But w- when it comes to kids, I think they should be, you know, uh, uh, hands off and we should have boundaries yeah. on, you know, where we're pushing certain ideas and whatnot. And, and, you know, we always have, right. That's why we have PG 13 and rated G and this, that, and the other. Oh, so yeah. uh, I'm thinking, you know, what's, you know, as a psychologist, cause I'm sure you end up dealing with people that are dealing with these issues in practice. Oh, yeah. um, what's your advice? Uh, well, before we get to that, what what are some of the things that you've seen when you're dealing with patients, in particular the younger ones? Well, the things that we're we're seeing these days is kind of common from what we're reading about and from what we're hearing about that our kids are growing in more depression, more anxiety, more thoughts of self harm, and more thoughts of suicide. I mean, it's doubled since in the last couple of years. And so where is that coming from? Why is that happening? And I think we're looking at a lot of different arenas. And of course, we do believe that COVID-19 was very hard on our youth, Uh, very hard on on adults. It was hard on me. Um, and, 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 And they were not around other kids. And that's critical that our kids are around other people in real ways. Uh, that helps stem the tide. So we know there are other things, but when we see these kinds of things happening in social media, we have to take a look at that. And I think, how then can we protect our teens? And I think you were about to move into that, but how can we help them? Exactly. And I'm positive. I'm positive. I think we're going to find ways. This, this, you know, social media, TikTok has been around about five years. Well, it's maybe given us enough time to begin seeing some of the dangers. Now, what can we do about it? Right. And that was, you're right. That was the segue to my question, which was, you know, what is your advice to parents? But I want you to hang on before we get to that. I want to take a quick pause right here. Give the listeners a chance to call in and perhaps ask a question of you. Uh, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. We're talking about the dangers of TikTok and uh, children today, young adults included. And our guest is Dr. Dean Beckloff, a PhD, licensed professional counselor. And we're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and it's Monday, by the way. And uh, our guest is Dr. Dean Beckloff, Ph.D. He's a licensed professional counselor. And uh, we're having a discussion on TikTok and how there's an increased incidence of depression and suicidality and self-harm. And and this goes hand in hand with the report from the CDC that came out a little bit earlier in the year, uh, as well as a, a report that's out, a survey rather, that's out from uh, an organization that's against hate that finds that w- with with their uh, clandestine uh, research, uh, they found that as they posed as 13-year-olds, they were inundated with videos about eating disorders, body image, self-harm, and suicide. So that's uh, where we are right now, and we've got teens uh, being negatively affected by this psychologically, plus the uh, the pandemic and all of the, the I would say, um, mostly negative news on whatever topic, uh, you put that all together and you've got a recipe for, for lots of bad news. Doc, um, what can parents do? And those of us that care, uh, in, in the ancillary folks, uh, in, in the, the village that it takes to raise these children, what can we do to protect our kids? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think we're finding some answers. Uh, and I think we're going to be able to even, uh, begin having conversations with our teens, uh, not just parents, but, you know, other, other folks in schools and other areas about, you know, pointing out uh, the, how, you know, we're, we're becoming vulnerable to things that we don't need to be becoming vulnerable to and being able to start giving some good, positive training to our teens and our, our kids. And, um, but one thing, you know, one thing we need to all be willing to do is swap screen time for real time. And that also means the parent being willing to put the, the phone down. Um, a lot of us <laughs> can be addicted to that thing. It may not be TikTok, but it can be other things too. Sure. And so how do we as a family swap screen time for real time? And how can we promote real time with our kids and our families. How do we get them around other kids? Uh, exercise and free play are among the best ways to build attention. Uh, TikTok does not build attention. It does not promote good executive functioning. But things like getting outside and playing and exercising, uh, you know, parents can dedicate after school and weekend times for sports and maybe play dates and family hikes or you know, I think there's a lot of creativity that parents can bring to bear. And I see parents doing that. Uh, we have some great teens. Uh, despite what we may hear about teens and the problems, there are great teens out there who are working hard, trying to make good grades, uh, trying to do well in all kinds of avenues. And I'm just impressed with this generation of teens right now. And, uh, Doc, would, would you say that in addition, uh, I, I guess, what would you say in addition to getting outside and exercising? I know that something that I did with my children, I don't know if it's, it's um, you know, even possible anymore. Uh, I always wanted to make sure we were kind of all together for dinner. And that didn't always happen mm-hmm. because sometimes we were right. on the go because my kids did dance and they did other activities. But, uh, you know, it took me a long time because I was very I felt guilty about it. 
And eventually one day I realized, and I said, well, you know, we actually are all together for dinner. We're just eating it in my SUV and we're eating drive through <laughs> And that wasn't ideal. And we weren't looking at each other, but the phones were down and we were having a conversation. Yep. Oftentimes me yelling at them about something, but, but it was a back and forth nonetheless <laughs> where we were all engaged with one another. And most of the time we did have a conversation and, and, uh, and I thought, wow, yeah, you know what, come to think of it, we did spend a lot of our time eating together in the SUV going from one thing to the next thing. Uh, but that was uh, something well, I feel like worked for us. It's, it's busy when you have kids, <laughs> you are busy and we oh, all yeah. know how busy it's you know, it just, it just is, uh, my kids are now fortunately grown. And when they had, when they were around as teenagers, we had the razor. There was no such thing as a, a smartphone We had the razor people. And that's what they used. Um, you know, I think you brought up something really, really good. You know, we're going to put our phones down when we're having dinner together, whether it's in an SUV or whether it's at a dinner table or whether it's a picnic, we, the, a, a child is not going to want to inherently set aside a device that's delivering entertainment. But we have to help them learn how to practice restraint. So having scheduled times when Nope, the phones are going to be down. It's going to be down for dad. It's going to be down for mom. It's going to be down for junior. It's going to be down for Melissa. Everybody's phone is down. And then it just starts happening where people are beginning to relate and communicate. Now, Dr. Dean Beckloff, uh, in uh, the um, 30 seconds or so that we have remaining together, I want to make sure that people know how to find you. Tell us about uh, your, you know, how to follow you online and, and your website. Website is www.drbecklof.com, drbeckloff.com. It actually stands for Dean Ray. But like, <laughs> most of it's, it's Dr. Beckloff. So drbeckloff.com. And that's going to be probably the easiest way to, to uh, get in. And we've got, some handy tools and videos and things for people to, to watch and even more about TikTok and all of that. Outstanding. Well, thank you for your insight, your analysis on this and your expertise. Uh, folks, check them out at drbeckloff.com. drbeckloff.com is the website. Doc, I appreciate you staying up late with us to uh, bring us up to speed on what's going on. Thank you. appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. All right. Godspeed. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about the history of government corruption from ancient Greece to today with Richard Lyons. Don't go anywhere. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So we're looking at all this news today of the weaponization of government, government corruption kind of running amok. 
And it's fascinating to me to think that, you know, yeah, this might be the worst. We've seen it in recent times. But the growth of government and and the history of corruption within our government is not something that is um, lost on history. In fact, if we take it back uh, all the way back to ancient Greece uh, and we learn about the DNA of democracy, uh, we learn a lot. And here to talk about that that journey and his book, The DNA of Democracy and Volume 2, The Shadows of the Acropolis, is Richard C. Lyons. Richard Lyons, welcome to the program. No, thank you, Rich. Great to be here. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. So let's... Um, Let's dig into this. Uh, this was some uh, a topic that, you know, uh, b- like at large, the the idea of the growth of government and how government today doesn't really exist the way I, I think our founders and those of the Enlightenment kind of uh, intended it to. But nonetheless, here we are. Uh, I, I broached this idea on a, on a program I did a while back, but it seems like your books really break this down and take it way back to the beginning. So um, let's take it from the top. Yeah, that, um, well, what happened to me, Rich, is what's happening to a a lot of your listeners. Um, I was wondering what country we had developed into a number of years back, perhaps six or eight years. And I wondered how I would be able to describe the critical elements of our country that made our country what it was at the founding, so I could show from then, or from a hundred years ago, how government has grown, much as the founders had feared, to become something other than what the founders had imagined. So I did go back to, to the Ten Commandments because that, that was the beginning of common law and the beginning of law not being in the housing of a pharaoh or an emperor or a king, but it was in the housing of, of law so that all persons were treated equally. I then went to the Athenian Constitution, and, uh, and that is uh, where we get our sense of town assembly. It's direct democracy where everybody can be involved, everybody can speak, everybody can vote. I then went on to the Roman Republic because that is what our constitutional republic at the federal level is designed as. Uh, it is a system of representations of peoples, so it is actually a constitutional republic. Uh, then I went to England, and that the foundation of our common law and the Magna Carta, and then the uh, civil war that they had, which ended up in the Glorious Revolution, which was actually uh, a sort of a midwife to our own revolution. And then I went on to how we formed our Constitution and its critical nature of separating powers and keeping most power in the hands of citizens. So when you look at it that way, when you get to the end of DNA of democracy, you end up with the suffragette movement and the widest expression of democracy and the best representation uh, we had at the time in our republic. Fascinating. Uh, that's a lot. So let's unpack a little bit. It of is. It. Uh, it because is. Yeah. Uh, I, I find it interesting that you took it back to, to Rome and to Greece. And and uh, I love where you started, which is, you know, kind of present day issue uh, with the, yeah. the growth of government. And what was, was it anything in particular? Or I should say, what was it in particular that got you to thinking, man, this is not right. Let's see where this starts and how it should have been. Yeah, I thought it would be a much smaller uh, venture. But then I realized that there were aspects in our Constitution which came from all these predecessors, the successful 
uh, the more successful. Well, first, democracy is very infrequent, so I didn't have too much to study. Uh, there was the Athenian democracy and the Roman Republic. There were other democracies throughout Greece and differing constitutions. But it was the Athenian that, that our founders based our sense of local government, which means that everybody has a hand in it. Every citizen gets to vote. When you get to the state level and when you get to the federal level, it has to be by representation. Otherwise, it becomes mob rule. Um, so that I, I took that critical element from the Athenians. And then uh, the basis of our uh, constitutional republic actually came from the Roman constitution. So I had to add that element. The element of our common law and our rights as individuals and rights to property actually was born in the Magna Carta. So in those instances, I show the rebellions that took place that created the freedom in Athens, the rebellion that took place that, that uh, threw the kings out of their thrones in Rome, and also uh, in the Magna Carta, how the Magna Carta was formed because King John became a rapacious tyrant. It's always with a concentration of power that there is then a rebellion which ends up in a democracy or a brand thereof. Fascinating. And I want you to, if you can, um, because it seems like you really um, took a, a great walk down memory lane with this one. And um, yeah. there's, you know, <laughs> that's a fun way to put it. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, because it's interesting. I think there's, you know, you mentioned things like direct democracy and constitutional republic. And yes. I, I think there are, you know, while there are some correlation coefficients, if you will, amongst them, uh, there, there are some stark differences as well. And uh, maybe you yes. could uh, highlight some of those points and, and, um, and the benefits of that uh, when we come back. Well, sure. Folks, sure. Uh, if you just give me a moment, I want to reintroduce you to the audience. The, uh, our guest is Richard Lyons. He's the author of The DNA of Democracy, Volume 1, and Shadows of the Acropolis, Volume 2. And uh, I, this is my wheelhouse. I love this stuff, uh, and I, I hope you do too. <laughs> the uh, telephone number, if you have a question for Richard Lyons, is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our guest is Richard Lyons. He's the author of The DNA of Democracy, Volume 1, and Shadows of the Acropolis, Volume 2. I recommend picking up a couple of copies of each. This is really good stuff, folks. Uh, and we were talking about the the unique nature of our governance here in the United States and how it's set up as a constitutional republic. And my question uh, to Richard Lyons or my request was that he kind of in, you know, in the research that he did going back historically to um, kind of highlight, you know, why they landed on a constitutional republic and what the benefits are for us as American citizens. Richard Lyons. Well, yeah, that that is the key question. Um, the, the Constitution developed in our country came from elements, as we were speaking about, Rich, from Greece, from Rome, and some elements from England. And uh, in America, we had the advantage uh, with, with the colonists that they literally grew their government out of the ground. 
they were left alone by any overarching government, overseeing government. Uh, and so the, their government was largely in the town councils. The state was a distant government at which their friends were their representatives. They knew the people who represented them. When it got to the federal level and we were constructing the Constitution, the one thought was, how do we leave things as they are? What we do not want is another administrative government like uh, the British monarchy was. They wanted to keep that. They wanted to keep powers apart and diffused and local. It was the local government that would concern persons first and the federal, which would concern them least. And and that's interesting because that's one of the fundamental tenets of our government is separation of powers. And it's, um, I, I, I just love to reiterate that it's not by accident, right? It was, uh, quite frankly, by design. And it, w- it is what makes us, I think, so u- unique as, um, as a constitutional republic, being you know, one of the youngest nations in history, as well as the oldest constitutional republic. It's such an interesting place for America to be. That's really well put, Rich, and perfectly true. Um, so, and so, yes, we, we've enjoyed the virtues of that, but then we've suffered the, in the last hundred years, and this is where Shadows of the Acropolis picks up, uh, we've suffered the, the fear that all the founders had, that we're, whatever entity has power will want to accumulate more power. And as it grows more powerful, it's able to assume more power. And so that's the situation that's been growing for the last hundred years, and we're seeing a lot of symptoms of what can go wrong these days. Right. Well, and I think one of the main things that, you know, if we go fast forward a little bit to to the founders and those that were influenced by the Enlightenment and those that immediately participated in the Constitutional Convention, um, there there was this this um, reticence, obviously, towards um, the tyranny of the majority. And uh, it it seems like we love that today. Uh, it's, it's an infatuation. Well, we, you know, if, if we're, if you're a conservative as I am, we're underdogs now because there seems to be a great weight placed in the government and specifically the executive branch of the government taking care of everybody as if the government were the mother, the father, and the dear aunt, you know, with advice. (laughs) And that it was never supposed to be that. It was supposed to be Uncle Sam, who is not in your house who live somewhere else, who you invite over for Thanksgiving, but you very rarely see. Uh, it's just, a, it's been turned upside down and it's become this sort of nanny state. And I think a big fuel of that has been the media with talk shows on every day, talking about all the little pains in America that need government solutions. Yeah. Well, we talk about the pains in America, but we never talk about government solutions. Thank God. Uh, but yeah, I think you might be right. I, I think you combine yeah. the media, uh, you know, the free press with um, academia. And I think now you're onto something, you know, and, and as of late, even, you know, corporate America has chimed in on, on how they're, they've kind of joined at the hip with partners in government. And, yeah, and I hate and to oversimplify, but it seems like that's where we are. Well, what you know, what shocks me most, Rich, and you'll probably agree is that they did, a, they did a, um, a survey of PhDs. These are persons who have spent their whole lives learning, but they haven't learned that there's never been a successful socialist government in the world, in history. 
there has always been tyranny and it's always been feeding on its own people. Uh, and, and why they would prescribe that as something that might be successful if the dream of an unexampled utopia finally occurs is beyond me because these are supposed to be smart people. This is a fascinating point that you bring up and, and one that also baffles me and I don't think either of us have the answer but I don't mind commiserating with you for a moment in so much as saying it's amazing to me that the Communist Manifesto or just Marxism overall has, has grown to the level it has and, and has influenced so much over the years. And I'd say it's probably one of the most pervasive, um, pernicious ideologies that, that has existed in the last 100, even 200 years, 150 years or whatever. And, and, and it, we're, we're seeing how destructive it's been, yet we're not getting further away from it. We're getting closer to it. Well, here, I, I, I detail this in Shadows of the Acropolis, Reg. I'm going to take you back 100 years again. And this goes back to Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson was uh, academic uh, par excellence. He never spent a day of his life outside of a university campus until he became uh, governor of New Jersey and then president. And his whole thinking, and you can see it in his writings, his whole thinking was around the ideal state theory of Frederick Hegel, which is the opposite of our founders' uh, belief in the philosopher John Locke. John Locke believed the individual should govern the government. Ideal state theory is that the individual becomes part of the government and the government role, rules every individual. Woodrow Wilson had introduced that when he gave birth to the administrative state and then brought all the wealth into a single treasury uh, through the income tax. And since then, the idea of collectivism, and since then all the things that uh, were Marxism, have been popularized over time by little levies of power, which I detail in the book. Folks, we're on with Richard Lyons. He's the author of The DNA of Democracy, Volume 1, and Shadows of the Acropolis, Volume 2, where he details a, a historical look at how we got uh, off the rails, if you will, from what was intended to be uh, a small government of the people to this massive government of the government itself, which is so sad. And it's funny, that's been the overarching theme all night. We've talked about the administrative state and how it almost exists to serve itself and its own interests. And um, we're going to continue with Richard Lyons and wrap up on this and let you know where we can find the book straight ahead. Any questions, give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here, our guest, Richard Lyons. He's the author of The DNA of Democracy and Shadows of the Acropolis, Volume 2. And uh, we've been uh, having a discussion on the journey that we've taken from constitutional republic to collectivist-leaning utopia and how we've gotten there and why. And just before the break, uh, Richard Lyons, you were telling the audience a little bit about uh, how... Woodrow Wilson uh, adopted the the ideas 
uh, Friedrich Hegel and uh, took the ball and ran with them. Go right ahead. Yeah, and he, um, you know, he put into America Germans' ideal state theory, which is also the foundation of what was the socialist parties in Europe, uh, in Italy, and the fascist government in uh, Germany, and the Russian Revolution government of the Bolsheviks. It's the same philosophy. Woodrow Wilson put it into our system so that we're now more of a hybrid government. You have the administrative state of several hundreds of agencies uh, that work by administrative rule rather than passing legislative law, but the rules have the effect of laws. So he started the whole system, and then it was adopted by uh, one of his uh, fans, which was FDR. FDR was his secretary of the Navy to Woodrow Wilson during World War I. And so Woodrow Wilson set up the system which FDR took advantage of in his invasion of the economic sector of America, and then his uh, his putting the redistribution system of the common treasury on steroids and redistributing wealth based on localities and states that favored democratic policy. All right, plus uh, the uh, progressive uh, tax scheme. Yes, the progressive tax scheme, in in fact, going back to the manifesto you were uh, discussing under Marx, the first rule he has in his manifesto is the best place to start is with a progressive tax system. Uh, so FDR, FDR put the redistribution uh, system on steroids, and then LBJ put it on amphetamines and, and just re- <laughs> <laughs> put it redistributing as much wealth as the government could take in, and that's how we ended up in the ruins of the 70s, uh, because the the Democratic Party ideal and dream were realized. Unbelievable. Richard C. Lyons, yeah. I could do this with you all night, but they limit me yeah. on the radio <laughs> segments, because I think this is just a great topic for Americans to hear. But I want it them is. to be able to get the books. And I want yep. them to be able to get a couple of copies of the book, one that they could keep of each one, and then one that they could give away to somebody who could benefit from it. Let everybody know exactly how they can get the book. Well, of course, at Amazon.com, they're both available, and also at my website, RichardCLyons.com. If you go to a retailer or a library, I'd be happy if you requested them. Uh, but they are, if I may say, they're in narrative story form, very approachable. And if you want to know what it means to be an American, this is the way. Outstanding. Well, sir, Godspeed to you. Keep up the good work. Uh, it's important. Uh, we need people like you out there fighting and then uh, telling the story of that fight. So uh, I appreciate oh, it. Thank you, Reg. Thank you. Thanks very much. You bet. All right, folks, we're going to continue with our discussions with you all, the callers, as we uh, go into Open Phone America, a long-time-tested uh, tradition here on this program, started by Larry King, continued by Jim Bohannon, and, of course, you and I will continue that this evening. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. You can always call on the legacy line as well. And uh, we're going to talk about everything we've discussed tonight and more. So get the calls in early because um, I hate it when people say, oh, we called in, but there wasn't enough time to get on the air. Don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. And Open Phone America starts right now. the city that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and you're welcome to join our late-night national town hall conversation. I want to hear from you where you get to sound off and be heard all across this country. So give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ, and you can also chime in online at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. Now... <clears throat> Big story today is uh, it was really two of them, right? Uh, the one, the one big story is that John Durham, the special counsel, released his report, and he says that the FBI violated their their um, commitment to to their mission and the fidelity of the law, and obviously, uh, even folks at CNN had to respond to this. Jake Tapper, he um, famously told. America earlier today that Trump was all but exonerated. Listen to this. Regardless, the report is now here. It has dropped and it might not have produced everything of what some Republicans hoped for. It is regardless devastating to the FBI and to a degree it does exonerate Donald Trump. And there you go. It's uh, it's it's a big story, in my opinion, because this was a huge story for years upon years upon years when uh, it was the other way around and the whole thing was uh, fake, phony and fraud. It was a hoax, as Trump said. So um, I'm glad that the, the information is out. It's lamentable that nobody gets to go to jail for this, that they can do this to the American people and nobody gets held accountable. But it doesn't surprise me in the least. Anyway, that's one of the stories that we're talking about. Then we've got this other big story here. The IRS has removed the entire investigative team from the Hunter Biden investigation in uh, whistleblower claims. And uh, they're saying that this move is clearly retaliatory. The purge was allegedly done on the orders of the Justice Department. Uh, The whistleblower's attorneys informed congressional leaders in a letter saying this. Today, the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, The criminal supervisory special agent we represent was informed that he and his entire investigative team are being removed from the ongoing and sensitive investigation of the high-profile controversial subject around which our clients sought to make whistleblower disclosures to Congress. He was informed the change was at the request of the Department of Justice. And again, that's according to attorneys Mark Lytle and Tristan Levitt. The whistleblower who supervised the Hunter Biden investigation since early 2020 hasn't publicly identified the first son as the subject of the case. He says is being uh, brushed under the rug, but congressional sources have confirmed it. It goes on to say on April 27th, IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel appeared before the House Committee on Ways and Means testifying. I can say without any hesitation, there will be no retaliation for anyone making an allegation or a call to a whistleblower hotline. However, this move is clearly retaliatory and may also constitute obstruction of a congressional inquiry, the lawyers continued. So that's what's going on there. 
Uh, plus, we've had a lot of great discussion tonight. We had Cash Patel on the topic of um, Trump being exonerated and the finalization of the the uh, Durham report. Uh, we also uh, had some discussion on Hunter Biden as well. We also had some discussion on TikTok and its effects on the mental health of young people, which seem to be on the decline, but yet the numbers of people that are on the decline are increasing. So things are going bad and a lot more people are suffering from it than we thought. And of course, we talked about the history of our governmental system and how we got there and why we seem to be straying away from it. So again, your calls and more, 833-4-VALDES. Let's hit the phones. I know that there's been a few people on the line for a while. Let's see, where do we go here? <clears throat> Let's go to Todd, Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Go right ahead. Yes, hey, uh, Rich. Um, yeah, it was great to hear from uh, from your guest, Cash Patel and Ms. Morris. And, uh, you know, this uh, whole scandal makes mm-hmm. Watergate look like a bazooka Joe bubblegum wrapper. I mean, it You're is so massive. Yeah, it is stunning. And, you know, um, Obama was involved from the beginning. Um, He signed an executive order allowing all those government agencies to collude. He hired a guy to protect the White House servers who actually helped Jim Baker, the head lawyer, and David Sussman spy on the executive office of the president and Trump Tower. And, you know, when they spied on his executive office, they hacked all his agencies. They hacked his lawyers. I mean, this is insane. And then Jim Comey, when he went to the Oval Office to confront the president with the Steele dossier, he knew then it was a fake. That I mean, he leaked it to the media to get a special counsel, and he knew the information was a fraud because the two uh, trials that Durham did, um, a lot of testimony. The agents involved knew it was a fraud. They knew the Alpha Bank story was a fraud. But the seventh floor, the the rats at the top, they're the ones who perpetrated this. And you're right. It was it was a seditious um, overthrow, a coup. It's it's insane. You know, according to the Durham report, the plan was originally hatched by Hillary Clinton to create this false story linking Trump to Russia and that they briefed this in August of 2016 to then-CIA director John Brennan, to President Obama himself, to VP Biden, to AG Loretta Lynch, and to uh, FBI Director James Comey. And this, again, this had come out. It was kind of corroborated. It was discussed. It was brushed on the rug. And today it's in part of the final report, part of history uh, that was publicly available now to anybody who's looking for the truth. And I'm glad that it's available and not one of these things that's, t- you know, totally redacted and blacked out and you have to wait 44 years for it to be unsealed. Thank God the truth is out. Uh, but, but uh, you know, it, you're right. This is uh, egregious. It's terrible. It's bad. It's every adjective I can think of. And uh, again, I'm just glad that people know what's going on because of it. And uh, you're right. There's a connection with Obama. He certainly knew. Uh, Biden is certainly new. And it, it just um, what's scary is that they can do it with such ease and how accustomed they are to doing it, Todd. You know, and, and thank God for Alexander Hamilton and the, and the Post 
and the Constitution that he helped give us with the First Amendment and the Second Amendment. Thank God for your radio station that can put this out. You know, there's billions of people in Russia and China and Venezuela who will never never have have, you know, this privilege. This is this is providential. You know, it's a blessing from God. And there's no uh, justice without truth. Uh, I'm thankful for Durham because he had no cooperation. He had to do it during COVID and there were no leaks. So, my, you know, my hat, he gets a lot of you know static, but yeah. you know, <laughs> he was going uphill all the way. And this is in the context of the Twitter files of all the lies about the lockdowns and the vaccines, the right, you name it, of doctors, right? it, you know, uh, all throughout every, every step of the way, there's been uh, people overstepping their bounds t- telling us, you know, that's misinformation while they're the ones that are misinforming and disinforming us. And, and it, you know, it takes a year or two years, 20 million, 40 million dollars later, an investigation later. And then voila, we find out, hey, guess what? The crazies like uh, Todd in Atlanta and Rich Valdez, they were the ones that were actually right. Todd, thanks for your call, brother. I appreciate it. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you will enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. The law of Sanctuary City was in place long before I became mayor. I'm following the law. As a law enforcement person, you know we follow the law. We're now in court now, today, asking the judge to revisit this law to deal with this humanitarian crisis. Because even when they decided to put in place that law, no one thought that they would be dealing with a humanitarian crisis of this proportion. That's funny. I think there were lots of people. No one thought. What about Donald Trump? What about Lee Zeldin? What about every Republican ever? Just about every conservative in the country was screaming, this is going to be a humanitarian crisis. They've been saying it since then. We've been seeing it at the border. It's so bad that it's no longer just affecting the Rio Grande Valley and and South Texas. It's going all across the country, in particular to places that were stupid enough to become sanctuary cities and sanctuary states. So last week it was Lori Lightfoot. Now it's Eric Adams. Everybody's uh, tucking tail, hat in hand to the government, asking for more money. Now they, they, whether they're getting the money or not, doesn't matter because they've realized there's no more space for these people. And with that comes not just overcrowding, overpopulation. It's going to increase incidences of everything, whether it's uh, incidences of 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 crime, incidences of uh, of attacks, rapes, abuse, homelessness. You name it. It's just an overwhelming amount of people to um, assimilate into our system can't happen that quickly. And Eric Adams sees it. It's, it's amazing how that's what it took. It takes a crisis to wake this guy up. It took a crisis to wake up uh, Lori Lightfoot. 
I'm not going to call her Beetlejuice because then I'll get crit- criticized on uh, on Facebook. So I won't call her that. But uh, unbelievable, totally unbelievable that this is where we are. Good old Eric Adams. Now, listen, uh, my prediction is if this doesn't go over well for him and they say, oh, you're not left wing enough for us. We're going to run somebody against you that's going to say we need more immigrants, not less. Maybe he runs as an independent or who knows, maybe he tries to become a Republican because uh, they're not going to like what he's doing. He's a cop. He's a man. I think he identifies as a man. That's bad enough as it is, right? (laughs) He's going to really tick off the left. So that's what we've got. We've got that on the immigration front. Uh, We continue to have our drama with the debt ceiling. We continue to have the drama with the weaponization of government and so much more. Let's go to your calls. Uh, Let's go to Kim in Michigan, KDKA online. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Yeah, with this debt ceiling, um, Biden doesn't want to work with Kevin McCarthy. Biden's just said a flat-out statement. He, he, He wants a clean debt ceiling. He doesn't want any limits put on it. And and Kevin McCarthy has given him a proposal of like a $1 trillion or $1.5 trillion increase in the debt. Um, and that's not good enough for Biden. Biden's playing hardball. I think it wouldn't be such a bad thing if we hit the debt ceiling on June 1st or the middle of June, whenever it comes. Um, because, yeah, our credit rating will drop. It'll be harder to get credit. But then when all that happens, we won't be able to borrow money for a while. People won't buy our treasury. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, this, you're I, saying I if we think, can't keep borrowing, maybe we'll stop borrowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. I get it. Listen, that was what Trump was saying. And everybody criticized it when he said, hey, look. You know, in, in my opinion, that's what he was saying when he said, you know, it's going to happen at some point. Might, might as well happen sooner rather than later. If we're going to default, if we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Let's go for it. Uh, and I think he's calling them on their bluff. Uh, that's Trump. He's really good at that stuff at negotiating and whatnot. Uh, I think that he's probably taking the right approach. I think McCarthy's also doing the diplomatic thing in ensuring that, hey, look, he's willing to meet the president and say, look, I'm willing to spend more. But we've got to attach this to that and have these 1% decreases and whatnot. And and I think he's doing the right thing. And he needs to continue to, to hammer that message so that everybody knows that it's the Republicans that are trying to work with Biden. And Biden's the one saying, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be a bad thing, you know, because we're already around $32 trillion in debt. They say it's like, 225000 for every taxpayer in the United States. That's how much we owe just on our debt. And I think that's what I heard. You know, and if we can stop it now, and it's going to get closer because China and Russia are going to the yuan, you know. So it's, it's going to approach us quicker anyways because – they're switching to other, we're not so much the primary, um, you know, dollar anymore. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, hundred percent. And, and, you know, Kim, this is not only, um, affecting, uh, you know, internationally, like you're talking about with, um, the global reserve currency and whatnot, but it's affecting people here at home and, uh, and, and it has repercussions that are global. And it's it, the whole thing, in my opinion, 
is a, is a bad move. Biden's not playing this thing the right way, and he, he should work with McCarthy. And we, we, we need to be competitive in a time where Russia's on the move. Instead, we're being less competitive than we need to be and um, putting ourselves in, in a weaker position here at home. I, I can't imagine why we would do that, but that's what we're doing. Thank you, Kim in Shields, Michigan. Now, I just wanted to circle back to this Eric Adams story, mayor of New York City, and reiterate that Adams is trying to do, I think he's trying to do the right thing, or at least he's trying to get reelected again, right? And he's saying, you know, I'm not going to get reelected when he realizes people don't want this. When you have this case that we talked about last Friday with Curtis Sliwa, and and we talked about all last week, honestly, uh, the Daniel Penny case and uh, the uh, with Mr. Neely, this this is indicative of a populace, right? The the city uh, residents saying, no, we don't want that. We don't want you to say the Marines a killer and we we're not calling him a killer and nobody got in his way because they knew that they wanted to be safe. And people in New York don't feel safe, whether it's because there are migrants that are kicking people out, kicking veterans out, you're kicking, um, all sorts of people. There was a wedding party that was kicked out. You, you name it. Hotels are turning away regular paying patrons to make space for illegal migrants that are coming in on on the public dime. At, it's not about not helping them. It's about turning away our own people and harming our businesses. And on that note, I want to talk about two things when we come back. A why people are leaving New York. One of those people, the piano man himself, Billy Joel, is announced he's leaving New York for Florida. And uh, we'll get to that in a moment. We also have the story of uh, a very, very, I don't want to say stupid, right? Because then it sounds too pejorative. Uh, not so bright business. Yep, it's a, ca- a, ca- a cafe focused on being anti-capitalism. Go figure. The Anti-Capitalist Cafe. So we're going to talk about that as well on our way back. Plus, we've got the uh, debacle coming out of Florida where, speaking of Billy Joel, where there's a teacher in Florida that's under fire for playing uh, videos that she shouldn't have in front of students. So don't go anywhere. There's more to come straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. 833-4-VALDEZ. Your calls and more coming right up. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're going to get to your calls momentarily. We've got calls from 
the Philippines, Ohio, Florida, and more coming in. I just want to cover this real quick because there is a fifth grade teacher that's under fire in uh, Florida for showing a Disney movie with a gay character. At least that's how this article is being uh, portrayed here. Uh, Fifth grade teacher says she showed the movie Strange World to her students because they were learning about Earth and ecosystems. Listen to this. I was told by every teacher and mentor at our school that our method for approval by administration of showing movies was to have a signed parent permission slip for PG movies. I had that from the beginning of the year. The whole fifth grade team had signed permission slips for PG movies with no objections to specific content. Um, I actually had one student who did have objection to specific content not showing the Buzz Lightyear movie, but she wasn't in my classroom anymore, so it wasn't a big deal. Uh, The reason I was turned in is because one of the split students was a school board member's daughter. That school board member is currently on a rampage to get rid of every form of representation out of our schools. She even spent days this past week going to all the high schools to get rid of anything that had to do with representation whatsoever. Well, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, had a press conference today and um, he just uh, laid it out. Uh, We got the audio, but it's a little bit long, so I'm not going to play it. But um, he uh, signed bill state bill 266 SB 266. And what it does is uh, reorient universities back to their traditional mission. Part of the traditional mission is to treat people as individuals, not to try to divvy them up based on any type of superficial characteristics Uh, with a quote from DeSantis saying, we're going to elevate merit and achievement above identification with certain groups. And in order to do that, we had to take a look at this new concept relatively new concept called diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, he basically says it has no place, this woke DEI ideology in Florida public schools. Uh, So that's Ron DeSantis firing back at this teacher who's under fire and really at all the teachers who are doing this. Uh, But uh, this teacher, again, she's in Hernando County, fifth grade teacher. She's under investigation by the school district and the state Uh, after showing a Disney movie with an openly gay character. Now, her name, Jenna Barbie. She's a first-year teacher at Winding, Winding or Winding? I don't know. I'll go with either one. Uh, Excuse me, Winding. That's me being tired. (laughs) Winding Waters. (laughs) Got kindergarten through eighth grade school, so elementary school, who's being investigated by the uh, Hernando County School District and the state DOE for showing this movie and violating their state law. Um, which those in the media like to call the don't say gay bill, which is really called the parental rights and education bill. So we'll keep you up to speed on what's going on there. Uh, But she claims that she didn't show it because it had a gay character. She claims that she showed it because it had earth science and whatnot and ecosystems. Um, Interesting. I'm sure we're going to continue to see how they're going to split hairs on these things. And uh, every time they teach about, earth science or this or that it's going to have some other reference to something that's social emotional or whatever that they have and all i can say is that wasn't the case when i was a kid right they didn't in infuse uh gender whether straight or gay or anything else uh into lessons on science plain and simple that just wasn't the case Let's hit the phones. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let us go to Gil. 
Gil is in Manila, Philippines. Wanted to make a comment about the special counsel. Go right ahead. Yes. Um, uh, Mr. Durham is quite a guy. Um, back in the early uh, 2000s, uh, he uh, busted the uh, uh, conspiracy between the Boston police, the Boston FBI office, that was covering up for the Boston uh, mob boss, Whitey Bulger. In, in Boston, the mafia is Irish, and, as you know, in, in New York, it's Italian. But um, uh, he uh, uh, busted these uh, FBI agents because they had Whitey Bulger put down as an informant. But what they were doing is they were telling Whitey Bulger who the people were who were informing on him, and he'd have them whacked. <laughs> it was uh, Mr. Durham that, that broke up this whole conspiracy between the Boston FBI office, the Boston police, and the uh, the Boston Italian, I'm sorry, Boston uh, Irish mafia. And I think he's quite a guy. Yeah, you know, and it, it just, um, what I take away from that is how long the FBI has been engaged in the weaponization of their power and themselves being involved in criminality. And I hate to paint with a broad brush. I have a brother who's a federal agent, but um, I've actually told him and his FBI colleagues that, uh, you know, I like you guys, but I don't know about the organization as a whole anymore because there is uh, there's problems at the top. You know, and there's a lot of good rank and file people there, but lamentably, there's a lot of problems. And like they say, the fish doesn't rot from the bottom, it rots from the head. Uh, Gil, I think you're, you're right about that. Now, I want to ask you, what's your, your take on uh, DeSantis firing back at um, this teacher and, and standing his ground on his uh, state policies? I think they go with a don't say gay law in Florida. And look, things have changed a lot since I, you and I were in school. I have to give them that. But um, we have to have some standards. We have to have some standards. And uh, I think there was an old saying I heard, you can be so open-minded that your brain falls out. And... <laughs> I think that's what's going on in a case like this. Yeah, I agree. And it seems like teachers are being more clever and more clever to try and introduce um, as much as they can at the earliest of ages. And uh, whatever it is, it, it is, I guess they're going to continue to go at it. But Gil, thank you for your call. I appreciate it uh, because this is definitely a battle that won't be going away. Uh, let us continue. Let's go to Frank in Akron, Ohio, WNIR. Frank, go right ahead. Hey, thank you, Rich. And, uh, boy, I love listening to you guys. Uh, you know, thank you. one of the common denominators is uh, is government and, and good common sense and, and common cause and, and uh, you know, family uh, things. They're talking about gays. I don't want to see gay life promoted uh, uh, in, in any way because it's, it's, it's about the person's qualities intellectually and their heart 
but I don't want to see him uh, cast down and and right and and listen to. I, I, I they have a voice. People sure. die people. to give them a voice, but but I don't want to see them elevate themselves or the blacks or the Hispanics to the point that their culture that they separate us because of our cultural differences. We're yeah, all Americans. We're, we're American citizens, and and we bleed red, all of us. And and our forefathers died and lived and died and and sweat and toiled to bring us a, a constitutional government. And our government has lost control of so very much, and we're going to have to take it back one state at a time and take back Congress. And, and the thing about it is that people are disheartened because everybody uh, doesn't trust the government anymore with good reason, good cause. Sure. And I would like to see family values and and and, and godliness promoted and, and truth, because that's what it's all about, the truth. The truth will set you free to make your own decisions. And the thing about that is there's so many lies and and uh, half truths being done down in Washington D.C., the District of Criminals, and there is no prosecutions and nobody going to jail. Mm-hmm. Hillary, I guess they're just going to let her pass away. I'm a movie buff. Did you ever see the movie with Richard Dreyfuss? He had a he had a, a gambling habit, and he'd go to the tracks, the dog and the race race horse tracks. And it I don't know if I've seen run. that one. Uh, but I, I, I get where you're going with this. And I can tell you that, uh, Frank, that this is um, it's a problem that we continue to have where we've uh, adopted this this um, corruption into our way of government and nobody's willing to kick it out. <laughs> so it's become the swamp and it's it's infecting everybody. And we, we have to get beyond that. And I agree with you. We've got to, you know, bring in the principles that made this country great originally and uh, and I don't mean racism. Whenever I say something like that, people think, oh, you mean, you know, praising the white man? No, I don't think we praise the white man or the black man or the, the Asian man or the Spanish man. You know, I think this is like you said, we're all Americans. We treat each other as citizens and we move on and, uh, we, you know, we keep our country first. But uh, thank you, Frank, for your call. I appreciate it. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Racism has long torn us apart. It's a battle that's never really over. But on the best days, enough of us have the guts and the hearts to stand up for the best in us. To choose love over hate, 
unity over disunion, progress over retreat, to stand up against the poison of white supremacy, as I did my inaugural address to a single out as the most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, so Joe El Baboso Biden, President Biden, says the greatest threat against America is white supremacy and a thunderous uh, round of applause. I don't know who he was talking to. Oh, wait, I know exactly who he was talking to. He was giving a speech at a historically black college and university and uh, was trying to pander like always. He was at Howard University at their uh 2023 graduation on Saturday, excuse me, not today. The most dangerous terrorist threat to our homeland is white supremacy. Listen, I think white supremacy is horrible. I don't like it. I don't support it. I don't like white supremacists. That's why I don't invite guys like David Duke on this program or others. I'm not into that type of thing. But I also don't think they're the biggest threat. I got to be very honest with you. I believe Joe Biden and the way he has usurped our system of government, the way he's he's um, uh, usurped the um, constitutional republic or the notion of one and and operates, you know, like an oclocracy rather than 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 a, a republic is uh, is scary. It's frightful. It's horrible. It's disheartening to see what's happening in our government and how they just use more rhetoric and emotion to try to justify everything. It's like, come on, man, where, where do we, um, where do we actually start thinking again? Where do we start looking at why we're supposed to do what we do? Pat in Sedona, Arizona, listening on KDGO out of Durango, Colorado. Go right ahead, Pat. Hey, Rich, how you doing? You know, you're Good, right brother. about a lot of things, but you, you forget one thing, rule oh. of law. There is yeah. no rule of law with Joe Biden and the Democratic Party and all these other people, the billionaires, the, you know, the Cyrus guy, his, uh, his uh, owning of all the uh, state attorney generals mm-hmm. in our George country. George Soros, yeah. And, the, and all the people we're partially to blame because we didn't pay attention and see this coming very well planned. It, it just, it, it got us. And I'm not sure if we can ever see the light of day, he's going to destroy so much and they're going to do scorch earth on our country. If he loses the election and, and Donald Trump gets back in, which we need because we'll never ever even have a chance if this man doesn't get back in the White House, I guess I get to tell you something. He's a true American. He's a true good person. Now, he has a personality that rubs a lot of people and he calls the press a bunch of fakers. Well, look, people have the, have the press told the truth about hardly anything. anything. The border, right. the border down there. I mean, the, the disaster that they're doing in our country. I mean, going after the oil. I mean, okay, eventually oil's got to go, but we need to replace it with an energy source that's dependable. It's not there yet, but we can work it in the right direction. We are a can-do country, and he's not a can-do president or administration. And You're right. He's I a won't-do president. He's a won't-do president, yeah. I'll tell you. You know, I read today about the uh, some of the sentences handed down to some of the uh, perpetrators 
of the Dece- uh, January 6th debacle, you know, and they were pretty, some of them were pretty stiff. Some of those people got 13 to 14 years in prison. And I'm going to tell you, you know, in a way, I feel sorry for them, but, you know, they lost their tempers and they did something they should have never done. I mean, protest. Listen, I think yeah. anybody who's done something wrong should be, you know, judged by a jury or their peers. And if they're found guilty, they should be given a sentence that's commensurate with what they did with the offense. Uh, but in certain cases where you have these elderly people that are being charged with parading, which is, uh, you know, literally parading on Capitol grounds um, and they're being called insurrectionists, but really all they're guilty of being is on Capitol grounds and they've been held for all this time and it's been this protracted case. I have to say, I think it, it might be a little overkill if, if, uh, if I'm being nice. But I get what you're saying, Pat. You know, we, we have to have some rules. And that's what I said about the thing in New York. You know, we, we can't have instances where, you know, you try to intervene as a good Samaritan, somebody dies, and we don't look at it. I think we have to look at it. We have to look at it seriously. And it's my uh, belief that, you know, this, this American hero will be exonerated. And just like you're saying about January 6th, we can't turn a blind eye to so what happened. We have to figure out what happened. And if it really was, uh, you know, the FBI and informants and this and that, which a lot of evidence points towards that, then we need to hold those people accountable. And if anything, we saw a lot of that today with the uh, revelations that the FBI has missed the mark on their entire job. So thank you, Pat. I appreciate you, brother. Good to hear from you. Uh, More from you guys straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is where we were in February we're talking, we'd be in a good place. But we're only a couple weeks away. And if you look at the timeline to pass something in the House and pass something in the Senate, you've got to have something done by this weekend. And we are nowhere near any of that. All right, that's McCarthy on the debt limit. Let's go to John in Vero Beach. you got 45 seconds. Go right ahead. All right, uh, Jim. Uh, I don't mean Rich. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, a, it's a compliment. I, I really love your show, and I Thank want to you. share something real quick with you. That uh, my son was chiding me about my receding hairline. I told him it's okay, son. There's no grass growing on a busy street. <laughs> I must have an information superhighway over here. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you do. You you're fantastic. I love oh, your show, you. and God bless you for getting the, the true word out to us listeners. Amen. John, I got to cut you off there because they're playing the music. Call me back tomorrow. We'll pick up where we left off here. Robert as well. We'll talk about white supremacy plus the closing down of the uh, anti-capitalist cafe. Anyway, take care. Good night and God bless. We're going to do it all again tomorrow. Hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.